Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast of the Cape Elizabeth Church of the Nazarene. We welcome you to join us in a study of God's Word today. It's good to be able to come back and bring the Word for you today. I did enjoy listening uh, to our speaker last week, to a hero, and I was really glad that she came out, and I knew she was... Uh, hadn't really had much opportunity to preach before. She's just answering the call into ministry. So I want to say thank you for welcoming her and uh, greeting her and um, uh, just just receiving her for that. And it was good to be able to uh, hear her message and be reminded again of uh, who Jesus is and how he loves. This, uh, in a moment, I'm going to read for you from 1 Peter chapter 3. We've kind of been going through this letter, the Apostle Peter to the church, and uh, looking at that, now when I start reading, at one point in time, you're going to look at this, and you're going to say, wait a minute, what parts did he just skip over? What parts would he have preached on last week? And of course, it's the part of the scripture that I think uh, most, most of the time people either preach too much or people skip over. <laughs> um, it's the part that is about slaves, be obedient to your masters, and wives, be obedient to your husbands. It's that part of the section that... Thankfully, I don't have to preach on today. But uh, suffice it to say, I I should probably say something about that, right? The passage uh, is as much as when it's been talked about, usually those two groups are equated. Sadly, wives are treated like slaves and husbands are treated like masters. But suffice to say, that passage is all related to them, him saying, hey, live such good lives among the pagans that when they see how you live, uh, they might be directed to the gospel. And then he gives them these examples. In other words, these examples are examples of how the pagans live. <laughs> and uh, the whole point isn't to tell them, hey, you, got, you get to live, you should be living like the pagans. The whole point is that, hey, if you are yielded to God for the gospel's sake, We're going to do whatever we can so that the gospel might be shared even among the pagans. You see, when faced with the reality of the crucifixion of Jesus and the reality of the resurrection, we are faced with a new and previously unheard of freedom, a glorious freedom where there, as Paul would end up saying, one of his letters, there's no longer Jew nor Gentile. There's no longer slave nor free. There's no longer male and female. Yet here, at least in the passage I'm skipping over, it seems like, is Peter saying the opposite? If he is, then no wonder him and Paul had a disagreement in the book of Acts and they split and went different ways. But I think instead, what Peter finds is that with the newfound freedom we have in Christ, there comes a new boldness that sometimes the world isn't ready for yet. You see, uh, in a culture with extreme subjugation, where there's things like where there's slaves and where there's a strict hierarchy of who's in charge and who isn't, you usually don't have to tell someone to stay in their place. They have no choice but to stay in their place. That's the way of the world. That's their culture. They already know that. Not unless there's a newfound freedom. A freedom, for instance, found in Jesus Christ. A freedom that they start to realize, wait a minute, if there's a resurrection... And this guy, 
who didn't live like he was subjected to anybody. And he wasn't subjected to anyone except God the Father. And even though they killed him, and even though something terrible happened, he was raised from the dead. And this very recently, this is what they know, and this is what they're testifying to. All of a sudden, they start to realize, wait a minute, I don't have to listen to the rulers of this world. God's in charge, and whatever they do to me, even if they crucify me, there's a resurrection. And so there was a newfound freedom and a newfound hope. And the reason for those words in 1 Peter 2, the ones that we're skipping over about being subject, those weren't meant to be a long-term solution. It's a short-term behavior so that the world can catch up with the freedom offered by Jesus Christ, that we find indeed that there is no more power distinctions supposed to be taking place in God's created world. But with freedom, we tend to do silly things, don't we? Remember... You remember when you were a kid? I don't know if you had the same childhood I had. Remember when you were a kid and you first start learning about your rights and your freedoms? On the playground when you first learned what freedom of speech meant? <laughs> All of a sudden, it meant that you could say whatever you wanted to other kids. I have the freedom of speech. right? The playground got real immature when we learned about that one. Remember that? I don't know. Maybe we just had a different childhood. But for me, it was like if people start saying whatever they want to say. Oh, I got the freedom of speech. I can do it. So we also come to learn that as adults, sometimes we act in very childish ways in the same way. As long as we can get away with it, we know what our freedoms is. As long as it's not technically illegal, I can do whatever I want. Particularly if we get to upset somebody. Or if we, and that is someone we didn't like very much anyways. I mean, just take a look at the bumper stickers or the Facebook pages or the T-shirts or see how crass someone can be when they don't like someone in particular. But, you know, it's just an exercise of our governmentally, governmentally assured freedoms. In the early church, something new was happening. There was real resurrection Death was defeated. There is a new Lord of Lords and King of Kings. This means whatever rulers exist, they don't have any authority. Kill me, hurt me, there's a resurrection. They also were convinced Jesus was returning from heaven very, very soon, perhaps even within that generation. They had no reason to believe he was going to wait over 2,000 years. Someone once asked uh, my youth group when I was was in high school, what would you do if you knew Jesus was coming back in the next few days. Some people uh, said things like, oh, well, you know, I'd make sure to tell my loved ones he's coming back so that they knew. A few of the more adventurous people said, well, I'm going to the bank and taking out a big loan because I know I don't have to pay it back. (laughs) Jesus is coming back. And so like, we're really going to celebrate when he comes back. uh, And uh, and so with that newfound freedom, uh uh-huh, Jesus coming, the world is changing, sometimes leads to new ways of taking advantage of the situation. And so the church is leaning hard into this conviction. If Jesus is the King of Kings or the Lord of Lords, and the earthly powers have lost their authority, what does this mean? It means we're not beholden to anyone but Jesus. And we don't have to think too hard in our highly individualistic society that we live in what that means. If we're not beholden to anyone, well, then it's just about me, right? We don't have to imagine what it feels like and how people would act if they're not responsible to anybody else. And so 1 Peter chapter 3, where we pick up, is he reminds them that with the power of Jesus isn't about new freedoms for me, it's about new freedoms for how we live towards you towards others. First Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of spirit, sympathy, 
love for one another, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or abuse for abuse, but on the contrary, repay with a blessing. It is for this that you are called, that you might inherit a blessing. For those who desire life and desire to see good days, let them keep their tongues from evil and their lips from speaking deceit. Let them turn away from evil and do good. Let them seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and His ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who will harm you if you are eager to do what is good? But even if you do suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be intimidated. But in your hearts, sanctify Christ as Lord. Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and reverence. Keep your conscience clear so that when you are maligned, those who abuse you for your good, for your good conduct in Christ, may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if suffering should be God's will, than to suffer for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in former times did not obey, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah during the building of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were saved through water. And baptism, which this prefigured, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers made subject to him. Peter is, reminds them immediately that their heavenly convictions are not about earthly advantage, but about earthly service to the ones whom Jesus loves and has died for. And so he says immediately, we are to love one another, have a humble mind, do not repay evil for evil or abuse for abuse. It is always about the other person. When I was uh, in high school, I remember uh, I had a car that I would drive to school and back and uh, my friends always loved that uh, I had a car that I was able to get us from, from school and back, and so we would all ride together and cram into this. It was, it was a Chevrolet Celebrity, just this little, like, it could hold six of us because we had a bench seat in the front back when cars had bench seats. And so we would all just cram into this thing, and we'd go. But there was this one corner uh, in, uh, sub- in West Dallas, a suburb of Milwaukee, that uh, had, was like this little S-curve. It was uh, 84th and National. You would, it was a two-lane road, and you would stop. I mean, there's another two lanes going the other way, but you'd stop at the light. And then there was this little S-curve. And for whatever reason, I got it in my head because, well... I was in high school and weird things came in my head, that I would always be the first one through that intersection. (laughs) And so I would always take off the line and beat whoever was in the other lane and always race through. And that's just what I did. And sometimes when my cousin, uh, who was living with us at the time, would come to school with me, he would be shouting out the window to all the other cars, ha-ha, whatever, whatever taunt he wanted to do about beating them. And I remember one time racing through that intersection, and, uh, and excited and, and getting in front of whoever else was there and, uh, before it went down to one lane and then going on to drop someone off. And one time I went and I dropped someone off at their house 
And lo and behold, one of those cars who was in the intersection pulled in behind us. And they took issue with the fact that we had raced them uh, in, in, into, that, into that first spot and, and began to just like uh, let me have it, know how upset they were with me about this. And I remember being kind of scared on the one hand, like what is about to happen here? And uh, on the other hand, being like, man, I didn't even realize I had wronged you. I just wanted to be first. <laughs> and so like, I just didn't even realize. So I ended up apologizing in large part probably because I was just scared. I was just like nervous. But I remember afterwards when they left and I left, being very thankful my cousin wasn't in the car with me. Because the reason my cousin had been staying with us, and he had skipped school that day, the reason he had been staying with us is he had had a hard life and a hard childhood, and he had gotten kicked out of schools, and he had been in a lot of fights and all that kind of stuff. And without a doubt, if he had taunted them around that turn, and then they had stopped to yell at us, uh, he would have stepped out of the car, and it would have been an entirely different kind of <laughs> engagement. <laughs> and so, so I found myself thinking of that, and like, it is amazing how a different word changes everything. Now, I can't say anything about how I respond to that, because when I respond to them, I wasn't responding on, oh man, I wronged you. I'm so sorry for having done that. Let me make that up to you, or uh, let me apologize for it. I was apologizing purely out of (laughs) self-preservation. And so, but I found myself thinking, but there was entirely another way we could have responded. Repaying evil for evil, abuse for abuse. The, uh, a way that very easily could have happened if my cousin hadn't skipped school that day. And, uh, and so I found myself thinking, and this is precisely what Peter is saying, in this world that we live in, when we find sometimes, man, someone's, we, we've messed up somewhere. Or, or we, need to, we need to work through things to do so with true love for one another and sympathy. To, to, to say that, hey, the point of this life together is to find a way in which we respect and care for each other. That this is a part of the point of what God wants out of his creation. This is what he is hoping for. And so he says, if you want to, if you desire life and desire to see these good days, keep your tongues from evil, keep your lips from speaking deceit. We are meant to speak well and to do good for one another. This is what God has called us to. And I think sometimes that's really difficult, particularly if someone says to us, uh, I'm really upset because of how something happened, or I don't like that dot, dot, dot. And immediately, sometimes I think what happens when we hear something like that is we get defensive, and we say, well, I don't know what I could have done differently, or I don't understand why you're having an issue with this when we could have just been having a nice day, or whatever the case is that, we, you know, or you could have not ruined my day, or whatever the case is that whoever we're talking with. And, and I think that what happens is we often find ourselves thinking, I am most concerned about who I am in my defense of whatever it is when, some, when there is an issue. And 1 Peter chapter 3 is suggesting to the church who is trying to live within a pagan world, a world that is very used to their own way of doing things, that if we have a hope in the resurrection if we have a hope in Jesus Christ that given the various things that might happen in our world and the difficulties that we might find, that we are called to live out the love of Christ. 
And in so doing, we might find ourselves surprised by what God is able to do against those who do evil. And how God might still be able to do something radically new in our life and in our communities. I mean, this is, this is the whole impetus for the whole passage we, we just skipped. Is it has everything to do with let's be surprised by grace. And not about, well, I'm going to preserve my power against you or I'm going to let you have power over me. That's, that's the point at all. It's about us learning to accept the grace of God that indeed wants to radically change this world. And so he says to them, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. Now, I think the mindset in this is in the court. They take you into court. Hey, they, are, they don't like your faith. They don't like you as a Christian. They take you to court. Get ready to defend yourself. Have a defense ready. But I think it also means just in life. When someone says, why do you have hope today? Or why do you have this outlook in life? For us to be able to say, well, I wasn't always this way, but God's worked with me. <laughs> or to be able to say, and that, that's because of faith that God has given me and has really, really helped me along the way. Sometimes just something small like that opens the door for a whole other realm of conversation. For us to be prepared with an answer doesn't mean we have to have a sermon ready. <laughs> doesn't mean we have to have a whole defense ready for next time someone asks us a question. Sometimes it just means being able to say, God's made a difference in my life. He's worked in me, and that's what has changed my outlook today. And I, I may have a weak moment a day in the future, but I'm hoping that God will continue to work in me, and, and you'll see this again and again. But I can tell you it's not all me. God has done something. That that becomes a part of our testimony, a part of our witness. And someone says, okay, well, maybe that is good news I want to receive as well. And, and, and if we give that answer and they respond favorably to that, it opens up a whole door for us to even say, I think God wants to do, can do that work in you as well. Let me tell you what's helped me, whether it's been your prayer, whether it's been someone who's come alongside you in life, whether it's been bringing the, uh, uh, coming in here to worship, whatever it is that you might say, that then opens a door for the hope that we have to share what Christ is about. And so Peter says, always be ready. He, he suggests to the church, you shouldn't suffer for doing good, but you might. And if you do, you're acting in the same way as Christ who suffered at the hands of the evil and sinful ones for our salvation. It is a way for him to remind us that in serving Christ, we do so not out of just a sense of self-preservation, not just out of a sense of this is what's best for me, but out of this is what God has called us to. And whatever happens, we will be faithful to what God does and sure trust that there is a resurrection and there is a hope. He ends up saying that this Christ who died for us at the hands of sinners provides for us salvation, brings us into a place where we are right with God, gives us the promise of eternal life, gives us the promise of, of God's work in us. He, he says this Christ who died has proclaimed this salvation for everyone. Absolutely everyone. Uh, there have been people who have asked me, they say, well, what about people before Jesus? What about them? What happens to them? What about people who never had an opportunity to hear about Jesus? What happens to them? Well, I think Peter is giving a little glimpse of what happens to them. He says, Jesus made proclamation to the spirits, even to those spirits from the days of Noah. 
I don't know what to make out of all that exactly except this. He's saying all of God's creation has salvation ready for them because of who Jesus is, even those who have existed in a time before or after Jesus' lifespan. His salvation is there and ready for all of us. And so I don't know how that plays out on a timeline. I don't know if like those who never hear like somehow see him in the afterlife and then make a decision. I don't know how God plays that out. But Peter is letting us know this. What Jesus did on the cross is salvation that is absolutely available to each and every one of us. That is a part of the hope. That is a part of the gospel. That is a part of the reason why we can look at someone else in this world and be like, I don't know that life is going the way you want it to or the way it should be, but God has a plan and an answer and a hope for you. And I have an answer for the hope that I have and I want to share that with you. When he looks at uh, the days of Noah... He sees, the sign, he sees the sign of the, uh, uh, the, the waters who swept away the evil, the waters that also carried Noah and his children on the ark and saved them. And he says, this is not unlike the baptism that we have, a baptism that signified that Jesus Christ has saved us as well. And he's, and he's making a, a correlation that just as there are waters in the flood story that saved Noah, so also there are waters in the life of our faith through baptism that have saved us. It's kind of like that last song we just sang. It's a weird kind of illustration. There is a fountain... <laughs> Filled with blood, like it, 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 is a, it is a weirdness. But what we are saying is that in the person of Jesus Christ, where we would normally go to for cleansing, where we would normally go to for refreshment, where we would normally go to for the very needs of our life, we find that in Jesus Christ. And he becomes the source of life, the source of, cleanse, uh, of cleansing, the source of reuniting us with God. The salvation that Jesus has is for all of us today. He has gone into the heavens, he says, at the right hand of God, and everything is subject to him. And if everything is subject to him, it means the way in which we live our life is not a way of saying, aha, I can do whatever I want now. I can take out that loan if Jesus is coming back or I can speak however I want to to someone else because they don't have any authority over me. It's, it's nothing like that. It is now because everything is subject to Jesus, so am I. And so I lay down my life for him and for those around to see that there is a God who has done just that for them. Our lives are ones lived in love and service to one another and sure trust that God is continuing to work and shape and change a world so that we might find indeed there is no Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. And those distinctions no longer have to be in play. Those power moves no longer have to be in play. We are just subject to our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, his love and his grace in our life. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that he absolutely equalizes the playing field. While we still live in a world where it seems like whoever has the most resources wins, where it seems like whoever has the most resources uh, gets gets the greatest voice or the most influence, 
where, where it seems like uh, uh, whoever has the best social connections is going to get away with the most. Heavenly Father, we recognize that that is not your playing field. That is not uh, the way in which you operate in this world. It is not the way you have called us to either. And so, Heavenly Father, I thank you that while we exist in this world, that we might find ourselves at times seeming to fall within the, the kind of find ourselves falling in positions and places where we have no choice but to be the ones making decisions or to be the ones that have this voice or that vote or that concern. But Heavenly Father, You have called us in it all to show that Your love has been shared and spread equally among Your creation. And that, Lord, You have called us to be faithful to You. To be faithful no matter what, that, what happens or where that leads. And whether that leads to uh, good things or persecution, Lord, help us to have an answer for the hope that we have. And help us always to share that hope, not with judgment, not uh, treating the Scriptures as verses to be wielded like a weapon, but always to do so with gentleness and reverence. Thank you again from this word from your Apostle Peter. Help us, Heavenly Father, to live our lives in a way that would honor you and glorify your name. And thank you for the freedom you give us to truly love one another and to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. We hope this sermon has encouraged you with the gospel of Jesus. More sermons are available online at our website, capenazarene.org. May God bless you abundantly as you serve him today.